Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of the Confessions of a Dealmaker podcast. I'm your host, Jason Godwin. When the why is clear, the how is easy. I'm really excited for today's guest because this person's been a large influence on my life. If it was not for this person, I wouldn't be hosting this podcast today. I wouldn't be in this industry, and I wouldn't be where I am today. So I owe, I have a huge debt of gratitude to this person. Today's guest is Jacob Hoyer. Jacob is a clarity navigator by trade, a sixth-generation Lutheran pastor, church planter, ministry consultant, and church vision consultant. On Jacob's website, he states this, studying clarity for your life and work with a deeper sense of who you're called to be. And I found this to be exactly what Jacob was able to help me walk through in my life um, when I made the transition in, in, in my calling and my work. So, Jacob, I'm really excited to have you here today. Thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. And, uh, yeah, glad to, glad to talk some clarity today. Yeah. So I walked through this season in my business, my previous business, where I just I felt like things weren't lining up. Life wasn't going the way I wanted it to, and I had a lot of questions, and you happened to present this solution that I didn't even know was possible, right? And walking through clarity navigation, and I I was one of those people, I wasn't really into goal setting, I wasn't into uh, casting vision, it was just like, just get out there and grind and do it, right? And I I had, I, because I knew who you were, and I saw what you, were, you had done with your life and helped others, I was curious enough to like, okay, let me see what this is all about. And I, I believe this is something that could be very powerful for entrepreneurs and individuals to start asking this question, right? Who am I called to be and how does this align with my life? And so I wanted to have you on so we could talk about this and deliver some information that others would find beneficial. Yeah, for sure. And I think, uh, yeah, like you're right. It's those times when uh, what we would call liminal space, like the time between two things when you're like, oh, I don't, I, you feel a little bit of disorientation. I don't know which way is up that's kind of the spot you were in. And that, that often is the time when we have the most capacity to kind of clear the fog out of our life to see more clearly what's, what's coming next. Yeah. So how did you get into this space and, and decide that this was something you were passionate about? Yeah. Well, uh, I'll say years ago when I, uh, was like, so now like 15 years ago, uh, after college, I spent some years doing international travel with like some aid work and mission work. And during that time kind of came to a, some clarity for myself. Like I think I'm made to help people discover who they are and who they're called to be. And that was a language I was using at the time. Uh, and then fast forward a decade or so, and I started doing this work with mission-based organizations to help them clarify identity of the organization and craft a strategic plan. And the, the, the people that I got those tools through, a, a, another organization, created some tools for individuals. So I started using the same process of clarifying identity and direction, started using the same process with individuals. And it's just a, a, wor- a work that I've kind of taken to, the way my mind works, um, kind of mixing uh, the emotion of identity with the strategy of planning and putting those two things together kind of just really hits at my sweet spot. And, uh, and so I, I've been doing planning work with organizations since 2017 and then uh, doing coaching with individuals around their kind of life call and, 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 and goal setting since about 2019. So, yeah. I know when I first started working with you on this topic, I initially thought that people just kind of, they could form themselves into whatever role they were asked to fill and that people just had to make a decision on who they wanted to be. 
I, I was kind of skeptical on more of these, you know, topics of personality traits and, and what people's preferences are and what they lean to. I just thought it was kind of more decision-based or environmental. But after going through this process with you, I realized that it, it was interesting taking some of the assessments and, and um, reading back the answers and realizing, oh, wow, that is exactly how I think. And that is exactly... Um, that speaks to me. And I feel like you probably see that a lot. People have that aha moment whenever they're going through that process and figuring out, okay, so this is not just a gimmick. Like there really is um, a deeper sense of who we are that we're called to be that we have to find alignment with. Yeah. And I think you hit on a couple of things there. And the first one you were saying was like, people can often adapt to a situation or just have to decide what they want to do. And, and this is um, kind of a truism that I picked up from a friend of mine in helping people clarify their identity and, and their calling is um, we say, uh, when you don't know who you're called to be, you'll settle for whatever people pay you to be. And so then you you end up just slave to the next opportunity. Right. So whatever op- opportunity people give you, you say, well, I'll be that person, you know? And, uh, and the trouble is when that's misaligned with how we're made or how we're built, um, it can kind of suck the life out of us. And so that gets to the second part of what you were talking about. It's like there is a way that we're all made, uh, that we're each of us is uniquely wired. And uh, through looking at our life experience, evaluating that experience, we can begin to discover that wiring. And once we name it, we can actually begin to leverage it for designing a life that fits us rather than just trying to do what everybody around us is asking us to do. What are some of the questions and conversations that individuals or organizations are having when they start having this realization that there's a misalignment? Uh, So I think like when people or organizations are misaligned, it starts to feel like um, you feel stuck. Like, oh, no matter what I do, I can't get traction. I can't get movement. I'm not moving forward. Um, You particularly for individuals, there might be a sense of shame around like, man, I must be broken because the things I'm doing work for everybody else, but not for me. Or, um, and so I think some of those things, like I don't know how to move forward. I don't know how to find fulfillment. I'm starting to feel like maybe there's something wrong with me. Those are the kinds of things that might lead someone to say, oh, it's time to take a step back and try to see the bigger picture so I can see kind of how to make some wiser decisions. I think that's a conversation we tend to have with some of our sellers and buyers too, because it seems like that, you know, that's a big decision to sell a business or buy a business. And some of the driving factors are that feeling of being stuck, right? It's either um, we break down the reasons people sell businesses into three categories. They're either frustrated, forced, or focused. It's either they're frustrated by an event in the business or by a situation in the business. There's an external life event that's forcing them to sell, or they're making a focused decision and they're planning to sell. Um, when we when we run into the, the sellers who are often frustrated, it's because they're they have worked through a situation for a long time that they feel stuck. They feel like something's it's not progressing. Um, there's some maybe management issues. There are some limitations in in their own ability to scale the business past where it is, and they just kind of feel like okay, the, I'm I'm done. And buyers a lot of times are in the corporate world. They feel the same way. They feel like okay, I am tired of clocking a nine to five. I'm tired of working for the man. I want to go work for myself. And so I feel like it's so important to us to have this conversation because there's going to be people who are feeling that right now and they want to make that decision. Okay, 
I either need to change a career, I need to change where I live, I need to change who I'm dating, I need to, I feel stuck, and I need to make a decision on what to do next. How, like, how would you advise someone to make a move once they've made that realization? That they're feeling stuck in kind of being just a cog in the wheel and they want to take control. And so maybe they're th- considering entrepreneurism because they want to take control of the direction for their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, understanding whether – I, I can think of a negative example where I've sometimes I've met people who say like, man, I'm tired of just working nine to five and only getting an hourly wage. I want to start my own business. And then a few months in – they realize they don't like sales. Uh, and and um, and very often they don't catch the connection that they're struggling to get their business off the ground because they won't go knock on doors, you know? Um, and so I would say, like, you want to find those things before you take the risk. Right. So, like, if you don't like sales, let's see if we can figure that out before you're, you know, feeding your family is depending on executing sales. And so... What we look at in uh, the processes that I use is we're looking for the overlap of your passion, your ability, and your context. So what am I most passionate about? Uh, What can I do best? And where is my impact the greatest? And so um, passion is driven by, like, your story. Uh, You can look at the experiences of your life to determine uh, the things that are, are kind of values for you. Uh, your ability is where we start using things like assessments to say, what am I good at? Uh, what do I excel at in, in, relative to others? And then context is like, um, who are the kinds of people that I am designed to make an outsized impact on their life? Who are the kinds of people that can pull the best out of me? What kinds of si- In what kind of situations do I thrive? Like for me, I'm great. I'm really good in a crisis. And actually that's because... I can be fear, fairly objective, right? But that also means that, like, um, in some of my work, I have to visit people in the hospital. I might not have the best bedside manner, um, but I can keep a cool head in a crisis. And so that's a context question, right? So the overlap of passion, ability, and context mm-hmm. is how we start to surface some of that, the things that could say, okay, where am I going to be able to to be at my best? Yeah, that's, that's great. So... Going back to one of the things I said earlier, I used to think you would look for opportunities and then figure out how you applied to those opportunities. So it's almost like a funnel. You start kind of pinballing off the sides until you get down to the bottom. You just keep trying things till you find out what works. But with your approach, once you know what tool you are in the toolbox, essentially, what skills you have, what context you thrive in, and who you want to operate around, it helps you narrow down and have a precise target versus just kind of um, aiming for the target, you're aiming for a specific spot on the target. So then you're spending less time and energy trying to figure out what that is and less pinballing back and forth between opportunities. Yeah, I, I, when I talk about this idea of identity over opportunity, I, I think about when my wife and I worked in this missions organization back in 2009, 10, 11, and we worked with young adults. So we, we worked in a program that took young adults, 21 to 35-year-olds, to 11 countries in 11 months. And so this is a grand adventure, right? And uh, a lot of these people are post-college or recently post-college, and um, they don't really know what they want to do yet, but this seems like a good opportunity. And so um, they go do this program, go on this trip for a year, 
uh, thinking that that will be that will tell them who they are, right? And so they said, well, I don't know who I am or who I want to be, so I'm going to go have this experience. Um, and some of them would get done, and they still had no clearer understanding of who they were, so they were just looking for the next experience. So they would lead a trip, or they would go to a different missions trip, or they would, um, you know, look for some other opportunity that they hoped would could be their identity. And so I think when that ping-ponging thing you're talking about is that becoming slave to the next opportunity, where what we're doing is we're going, I don't know who I am. Could this be who I am? Could this be who I am? And in the example you were just using, some people might even be saying, could entrepreneur be my identity? When really, like, there's no opportunity that will tell you who you are. Uh, there is a you inside of you that needs to be clarified. And then, and then, and when you clarify that identity, you can be that person in any situation. And then, and then it's just to discern how easily can I be that person in any situation? And so the people who in that program we were involved with, the people who excelled the most coming out of it were the people who were willing to do the hard work through the experience of discerning who they were, regardless of context. So for me, it was 11 countries in 11 months. So every three weeks we're moving and doing different things in different places. And what I was able to take from that experience was to understand, oh, look at the parts of myself that showed up in every experience along that way. Those are the things I'm going to take with me. Um, and so that being able to uh, clarify who I am before I decide what to do, rather than trying to get what I do to define who I am. Do you think that's a process someone can go through on their own using their own self-awareness, or do you think they need outside tools, and do you think they exclusively need outside tools and assistance to go through that? Well, I think, like, um, this is why my business is called Clarity Navigator. My, my hope is that, like, my role, like, and I'm, I'm imagining a big ship on the sea, right? And uh, I'm hoping the people I walk with are actually standing at the pilot's wheel. Mm -hmm. They're the ones, you know, directing the ship. I'm sitting next to them reading the map and pointing out where the turns are. Mm -hmm. And um, I find that a lot of people, uh, we say clarity requires chaos. So on the way to clarity, we go through a tunnel of chaos. Simplicity is on the back end of complexity. And so... People could definitely dive into a process like this themselves. And I'm not saying a person couldn't navigate it through it themselves. But when you're in the middle of the chaos and complexity, you need someone to encourage you and remind you what path we're on so you can get through to the to the simplicity on the other side. Right. Someone who's kind of detached from the situation. They have an outside pers third-party perspective. Yeah, and somebody who's a process expert. So yeah. all you have to come with is the content. Yeah. When I start sifting through the data of my life, I can start to lose my way. And so if there's somebody standing next to me who has the map, who tells me where, what, what box to put what data in, that helps to guide me. It has been amazing whenever you and I sit down with an issue and I'm like, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Here's some bullet points. And all of a sudden, it's almost like, well, you have this roadmap of going through the process of discovering possible solutions and outcomes. And, and it's so efficient where I would sit there maybe deliberate on this for weeks within sitting, you know, you and I sitting down for an hour, like we can, you know, bam, 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 go through this. Yeah. And it, it always, I'm like, oh, wow, Jacob makes it seem so easy. Why is, this not, why is this not easy for me to come to on my own? Well, yeah, and I would say like what's helpful when you and I talk is that we both exist very much in our head. Yeah. 
So like, that's why it can work quickly for us is because I take what you're feeling and I translate it into thoughts and that works for you. And I would say like with my wife, who's primarily a feeler, I go, Hey, we can do this quick, more quickly. And she's like, quickly is not the point. Right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so certainly, so certainly, uh, working with you can be in my sweet spot. Right? Yeah. So yeah. 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 You and I are very similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. You said something. I feel like this was, this may be one of the most impactful pieces of knowledge that I've got this year. You said, I, and I I'm going to, butcher how you said it but we were talking about communicating with your team and others around you and you said something to the extent of when i'm processing something me the individual is processing something they've benefited from synthesizing that data in in a time you know in a, in a certain length of time and now you're trying to communicate that to someone else and they haven't had the time to go through that synthesis process how did you word that exactly i don't remember exactly but we can talk about what i think you're addressing yeah which is um so like for you as a business owner right you maybe even lie awake at night thinking about your business's problems right and as much as you want your team to own those problems as well they're probably not laying awake at night thinking about those problems and it might even be unreasonable for you to ask them to do so. So that means that uh, if, if we have a problem on Tuesday and you come back to address it with them on Thursday, you've had Tuesday night and Wednesday night and all day Wednesday to process that problem. In the meantime, they may or may not have thought about it since Tuesday. And so you've probably got 15 hours of thought on that problem and they might have three. And so you come back on Thursday and go, I cracked it. And when you roll out the solution, just like we talked about uh, simplicity on the backside of complexity, you're bypassing all of that complexity that you worked out for 15 hours and trying to deliver it succinctly to them. And they might not know how you got from A to Z because you went through B through Y in those 15 hours and, and so being able to take a few steps back and walk with them from A to Z is probably going to be necessary. Yeah. Now, it's probably been the most impactful piece of information on the leadership side that I've got f- this year because it helps me have context because when I step back and I'm like, okay, I've, I've played with the Rubik's Cube of this problem for two, three, four days, and this is the solution I've come up with. And then you can't just bullet point communicate, hey, this is what we're going to do because this isn't this. You have to almost walk through, okay, here's the process of how I got to that. And the reason I bring this up is a lot of um, a lot of entrepreneurs or maybe soon-to-be entrepreneurs are going to have to learn to lead. And there's also so much leadership um, material here we can talk about. And, and as far as when you start going through this process and learning how to lead and build a team. Yeah. So... Um I would say a couple of things. One, that's another thing where understanding how you're made will be helpful for designing the kind of business you want to run. So do you want to lead a team? Are you built to lead a team? Uh, Or are you a solopreneur and like you can stay in that lane and make a good living, right? Um, And so I think there is sometimes an assumption that you have to build a team when maybe you don't. Um, the work that I do as an independent consultant, um, early on, I have I have brothers-in-law who are in who 
who run a business. And my brother-in-law was asking me, uh, well, are you going to scale this business? And I was like, I mean, really, I'm selling myself. So I don't know that I can. Right. And then so if my if my win was build a team, I'd have, you know, that would be different. Um, I would say if you do determine that building a team is necessary, I think uh, then you have to start thinking systems like people systems. And I think it's it's more complex than simply staff your weaknesses. It's um, identify the skills and gifts that play off of each other so that one plus one equals three. And that actually is in my consulting work, how I'm beginning to discern adding team members is people who have overlapping skill sets, but bring something that um, makes what I do best more valuable. So like I'm beginning, I, I met someone recently who holds a couple of the same certifications that I do, but whereas I think more abstract, she thinks more concrete. And I find that when I'm working with a team in the room and we're trying to develop a programming strategy for their organization, I often go more abstract than is helpful for them. And so I was talking to this person about like if she could be in the room and judge when we're getting too abstract and pull us back down to the concrete, that would make what I do more valuable. Uh, So it's not at that point, it's not just additive. It's actually like multiplicative. Um, And so team building team creating culture is trying to create an environment where the various gifts of the people in the room play off of each other to create um, not just a one plus one equals two dynamic, but a one plus one equals three dynamic. Um, Yeah. That's a general statement, I guess. Yeah. Do you think leaders are born or made or a combination? (laughs) I think not everyone's a leader. I think uh, leadership is a discipline that needs to be honed and cultivated. Yeah. What, what would someone do to hone and cultivate that discipline? I mean, I think it's still about uh, awareness of self and others. So um, being able to uh, be honest with yourself uh, to see where you're strong and where you're weak, uh, and then being willing to um, understand others before you uh, direct or guide them. Um, Yeah. And really, like, um, I really come from a school of thought that leadership is followership. And by that, I mean my task as a leader is to um, help other people achieve what they're called to do. And so if I like if I'm running a business, I invite somebody into my business that I'm not putting them in that role to serve me or my vision. I'm putting them in that role because I believe that in that role, they can grow into who they're called to be. And uh, when they win, I win. And so creating team and culture and businesses where that can be true uh, is a necessity for that leadership discipline. Yeah, I can't agree more. Yeah, so you're looking at multiplication versus addition and subtraction because if you're trying to build a team around serving yourself, you're asking people to do something that they're, again, maybe just there for the opportunity and it's not aligning with their vision. And so you're not serving them as a leader by helping them align with their vision. Yes. I heard a story from a leader 
uh, on it was just Tuesday. We were doing a Zoom call. What's today? Thursday. Today's Thursday. Cool. No, Wednesday. Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. So this was yesterday. Yeah. All right. So he was telling this story that mm. uh, there was somebody in his organization who had left a job as a radio producer or something. And from the time she left that job to come to his organization, that radio station was trying to get her back. They kept offering her old job back. And um, and and they finally came to her with an opportunity that she thought she needed to bring to him. And he said that um, she brought this opportunity to him, hoping he would say, no, you can't do it because you work here. You have to just give all your time here. Instead, what he said was, um, well, where do you, like, what do you think the direction of your life is? Like, um, he actually said, what's God up to in your life, right? And she said, well, I think God is in this opportunity. And he's like, okay, then, let's figure it out. And they found a way for her to share her time. Again, she was reluctant to want to do it, but they discerned that that was what was next for her in her life. And so they found a way to make it work together. Because and, and he said that was difficult for him. She's a great team member. He didn't want to give up any of her time, but he recognizes that his role as leader is to tee her up to do what she's made to right. do. Yeah. You know that I didn't think this would be an area we spent a lot of time on, but I think that we should considering the current climate of employment and being when we talk to business leaders and business owners. I would say their number one struggle that they that we hear the most is is team building and hiring and onboarding and, and retaining employees. I think if more business owners heard this, they would be able to create more impact in their business and also be able to recruit, recruit more talent. One of the things I've heard, like uh, Alex Ramosi says this, if you want to recruit great talent, you have to be a business worth working for. I think that goes into are you asking your team what their calling is and, and do they feel like they're aligning with that in your organization? If they're just there to make a living and they feel like there's there's this friction between the organization and their own life and then when they clock in, they feel like it's drudgery, they feel like it's not um, it's not aligning with who they are, you, it's going to be a net negative for the whole business because you have someone who's showing up every day where they feel like the their being in that environment is taking something away from them versus giving them something. And then that's going to bleed into the customer base. It's going to bleed into the rest of the team. It's going to bleed in the whole organization, the, the mission, the culture. And so if you as a leader are trying to coerce or convince people to work for you versus asking them to join you on the journey you're already on, you're always going to have friction and you're always going to be pulling versus pushing together. Yeah. Well, I would say like um, an example is like um, I'm a person who I usually show up with two or three ideas already formed in my head about what we're working on. And I've been on teams before where that's not really welcome, right? We're like when I show up going like, oh, I have these three ideas. They're like, no, we don't want to hear your ideas. Slow down, right? (laughs) And and I recently started working with a friend and colleague uh, to build a new business – creating some content and curriculum. And she is has more degrees than I do. Uh, it's her content we're essentially building out. Um, but when she and I are working together on a call and I throw out ideas, 
sometimes in my head, I'm like, whoa, slow down, dude. Uh, you're like, let her talk more, right? Which so I try to do that. But what I appreciate is she never says to me, hey, stop talking. I'm the one who knows what's going on here. Right. And in fact, she's like, oh, that's a great idea. We should use that. And sometimes I'm like, she can't be serious, right? But she is. Because what she realizes is I'm not there to make her dream happen. I'm there so we can work together on building something together. Um, because that's fulfilling for you. That's right. And well, and she, yeah, and she's like, um, yeah, because she sees her role as leader to, to empower me to do what I'm made to do. And so what she saw when she saw me was not somebody who could execute things she needed done. But what she saw in me was somebody who, when I do what I do, she and I can multiply. Right. Yeah. Right. So again, it's multiplication, not addition. Yeah. It's not just how do you help me accomplish my tasks so I have fewer tasks to accomplish. It's how does you doing what you do and me doing what I do create something that's what we do. Right. Yeah. 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 That's so powerful. Um, what are some practical steps that a business, that business owners with few resources or f- little time can do to align their team with this or to um, have this conversation with their team to see if they're in alignment? Yeah, I would say it's going to begin with relationship because you're talking about in alignment with one another, mm-hmm. right? More so than are each of you aligned with the business. Right. Yeah, so I would say, like, are we are we pulling together um, is going to begin in relationship. So it is going to be, like, if you've got five team members, let's block six months to take each one of them to lunch once a month and ask honest questions. Um, and then if I'm a business owner who's used to driving at results and defining the narrative, when I take a team member to lunch and ask them, hey, do you think we're well aligned? Is, is this role serving you well? I have to, I'm going to have to be okay if they say no, right? Like, uh, and so if somebody, like, rather than get defensive and try to redefine the narrative, like, okay, I hear that. Let's see what we can do, you know? And just because somebody brings a concern doesn't mean you have to address every concern. Uh, but if you want them to, sh- if you want to ask a question like, are we well aligned? And you hope the answer is yes. You have to be ready in case the answer is no. Right. Uh, and so um, developing trust. Um, yeah. 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 Let's say someone's going down this the path uh, in the wrong direction, right? So you maybe you're, you know, a overzealous leader who's always defining the narrative. The team feels like they're there for the opportunity, not because it's aligned with their vision. And you have this realization that you're going the wrong direction. You need to st- switch you need to change course and go the other direction what do you do uh you count the cost (laughs) because i think uh you there are successful people who um simply drive at results and hurt people along the way and so if what you want primarily is success you can be successful that way um and so, like, if you're saying, well, gosh, uh, if we could craft better team, we could have a better bottom line. Like, that might not be the right motivator because particularly in the short term, it might not result in that. Um, and so I would say, uh, not sure we would say not everybody's a leader, 
like just because you own a business doesn't mean you're a leader. Like, um, and so deciding if you want to lead and create a community of people who work together. Uh, then if you decide, yes, okay, yeah, the situation you're describing is somebody having a serious change of heart and they're making a full turn in their life. Then I would say there's going to have to be a period of pause, like in your personal life and in your business. And that doesn't mean halt all operations, but it does mean take your foot off the gas pedal of growth, numerical growth. Um, to be able to create space to evaluate um, and and redesign the way you operate together. Um, yeah, so that's where I'm thinking like a person who's in that situation where they go, man, for a long time, I haven't cared about my people. I've only driven toward results. We haven't developed lasting relationships in the business. And probably if that's happening, they've dealt with a lot of turnover in the business. Um a person in that it's going to be an emotional experience for them, uh, uh, a, and potentially painful experience. And so you got to prepare for that and create space for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, if you change your personality and the personality of the business, you're probably going to experience more turnover. Um, and so you got to be prepared for that from a business standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because leader leadership is a noun, right? It's it's something you. Um, or sorry, leadership's a verb. It's something you do. It's not just who you are. And bad leadership as well. So you, whether you are a leader or not, you are leading, and you are either leading poorly or, or leading well. Sure, like because what you're trying to say is like you're taking people somewhere. Right. Yes. You're captaining the ship in a direction, whether you're headed to a reef or you're headed to, you know, a desert, you know, to a uh, destination island. Either way, you, you are captaining, captaining the ship. Yes, yes, sure. And I would say, um, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and so if you want to turn that ship, it's going to take time and intentionality. Yeah. We see often there's there's breakpoints in sizes of companies. And, and these size of companies typically have a few characteristics without getting into the details. There seems to be a defining barrier between companies that they reach exit velocity where they're able to kind of break free of some of these challenges. And, and it mainly seems to, um, that break point seems to be built around this topic of leadership and being able to lead, being able to get past yourself as the owner of the business and, and separate the business from your identity and realize that it's, it's a living, breathing organism. It's not just an expression of you. And, as long as that business be sees from what we've seen from our perspective, as long as that business is still an expression of you, it's going to be limited on its impact and growth. Yes. Yes. And this kind of comes full circle to where we started because if, um, if who I am is entrepreneur and if who I am is somebody who started and runs this business or even just, acquired and runs this business, then the success of that business is, um, defines my acceptability. And that's, and that's going to cause fear. And I had a mentor who said fear always manifests in control. And so what's going to happen is if I'm looking at a business as defining my identity, then our success as a business defines my success as a person. And I don't want to fail. 
So that fear of failure between me conflated with the business is going to drive me to control my team and try to control the outcomes in the business. And that's the kind of thing that will cause me to white knuckle in a way that's unhealthy. Um, What comes to mind when I think about this is in the film Tommy Boy. Do you know Tommy Boy? Yeah. So Chris Farley is playing uh, a young man who's inherited his father's brake pad manufacturing business. And he's trying to save the business by going around the country doing sales. And his dad was a great salesman. Tommy Boy, uh, Tommy Callahan, Chris Farley, not a great salesperson. And so he's going from town to town with David Spade, who's the money guy from the company. And they're trying to sell brake pads. And they're in a restaurant at one point, And David Spade's trying to coach him through how to do sales. And he says, like, the problem is, as soon as I get a hold of a potential sale... And he takes out this dinner roll. He's like, I love my sale, and I want to nurture my sale. And he's like, but then I just hold on to it too tight, and he starts ripping it apart, right? And I feel like that's what happens with some people's businesses and their team. It's like they love their business. They want it to succeed, but they need it to succeed so bad that they end up suffocating it, just like Chris Farley with the dinner roll. Right. You know? Yeah. And so then the leader becomes the, the choke point of every decision. Yeah. They become the choke point of every creative idea. And so then it's it's the business's growth is limited to, and also the individual team member's expression is limited to that choke point. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And that's where I think like, so the alternative is, if I have clarity on who I am, and I recognize that whether the business succeeds or fails, I am still myself, then I don't need that like, the business dying is not me dying. Those are two different things. And I can be sad and grieve the death of the business or the failure of the business, but it's not my own death. Then uh, the fear is released because I don't need that business to succeed for me to be successful. I don't need that business to win for me to be a winner. And so I can move from the security of having my identity set and knowing, like, even if this business fails, I can be myself in another environment. And then I don't have to control everything. And, I, and I'm no longer that choke point and things can flow more easily. Right. And we also know that's not mutually exclusive, that once you make that decision, that doesn't mean that your business is not successful. When you decide that your identity is not, um, is not dependent upon the business's success, it doesn't mean your business won't be successful, right? Because now you've yeah. freed up that capacity to allow other people in your team to have creative expression, to live out their calling. Now, that doesn't mean you just throw them the keys and let them do whatever they want, right? You still have to make sure that you're staying with the vision. Um, one of my favorite books on this topic is Traction, Gene Wickman. Um, so much good material in that. I feel like every business owner who's got at least a team of five should go through that book. Um, they make a, I forgot the name of it, maybe it's Get a Grip on Your Business for Smaller businesses but a lot of these principles align but you have to make a decision of who your company is going to be and and who you want to be as a leader and who you want to be as an entrepreneur in order to have that freedom to let go yeah and i i would say like it didn't even occur to me that uh differentiating yourself from your business means you're and being okay with failure means failure is inevitable um uh, really, I see when I free myself up, I differentiate myself from my business. 
I can see more clearly how I can help. Rather than thinking I need to be the hero in every situation, I can actually see where my impact is the greatest in the business. I don't have to be involved in solving every problem. I can focus on solving the problems that I'm best tailored to solve. Um, yeah. 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 They're just like you're building a sports team, right? The, the coach may be the one who's inspiring the players on what plays to make. He's not the one on the field making the plays. Yeah, and I think that's what I was saying earlier about, like, when you think team, think system. So it's not just, like, one-to-one, my, okay, I'm weak here, let me hire somebody who's strong, but actually, like, how do our relative strengths and weaknesses play off of each other in a system? Yeah. Yeah. So we've got our clarity on who we're called to be. We've got clarity on the fact that we need to be a leader, that we're going to be a leader for what we're leading a business, that either we're going to be leading it in a, in a good direction or a negative direction. We have clarity on what it means to build a team and how those um, individuals should align with, or how we should be in alignment with our team members. Let's talk about vision. So where do you even start with casting a vision for your life and your business? Well, there are two different things, but, uh, but it does begin an identity. Um, and so whether it's for myself, my identity – I can, I, can, I can leverage that for vision of my life or in our business, identity of the business. What do we do? Why do we do it? When are we successful? Those kinds of questions define identity in a way that allows us to set goals. Um, and so where you begin is in um, naming who you are so you can see where you're going. And it's... it's um, I, we say it that way and it's not as much one, two like that, but it's like with the context of identity in place, I'm able to see more clearly where I'm going. And so then we start to ask the questions about where do we want to be three, five years from now? And those answers come easier because we've done the work of clarifying the what, the why, and the when kind of questions. Yeah. What do you think is the minimum distance someone should start planning out? Like, do you need to have a 10-year goal? Can you Is a one-year goal sufficient? Well, and this might be somewhere where you're more well-versed than I am, but my understanding is that in the business world, it's common best practice not to plan much beyond a year because the climate changes so much. Yeah. Um, in the work that I do in nonprofits and cause-based organizations, we set a horizon that's between 5 and 20 years in the future, and some of that is because – um, there's a component to our um, cause-based mission that won't change. And so we can plan a little longer. But I would say like whatever whatever level on which you're trying to execute, you have to plan farther than that to get the necessary context. Um, so longer range vision provides context, even if it's not specific. Um, and then that allows me to inform shorter range tactic. And so what I would say is um, in a common business setting, we might set um, – if I were walking into any business today, I would start having a three- to five-year conversation first. Um, and I know like in traction, he, he sets, I believe, a seven-year vision based simply on revenue. So what do you want your revenue to be seven years from now? And then they work down from there. Um, in my work with cause-based and even when I'm talking to people who are business owners, I go to cause first, like what's at your heart. Uh, and so that can inform 
what do I want this to look like three, five years from now? Uh, and that can provide the necessary context to be able to, okay, so what are we going to focus on this year? What's our focus this year? And what do we need to do to get there? Yeah. We have exit planning conversations with sellers oftentimes. They bring up a price for their business that they need, not necessarily what the business is worth. So we always like to reverse engineer the conversation and say, okay, have you had a conversation about how much money you're going to need for retirement or, or for whatever the next stage in life is if it's not retirement? Because then we can plan the business around that context, right? If we know that you have a specific exit price target, we know we have a, a rough goal of this time frame, we know businesses that are like that sell for that amount have these characteristics, we can measure where the business is now and then map out how do we gain those characteristics in that time frame and is it possible, is it achievable? Because we may have to leverage more capital and people to meet that time horizon, or it may be that it's something that we can do gradually, more organically to meet that time horizon. One of the biggest mistakes I see business owners make when they come to us is we're the last person they've talked to. They've talked to their friend, they've talked to their accountant, um, or someone who may not have that much experience in valuing a company. And they have this price anchor in mind of, this is what I'm going to sell my company for because you know, Joe down the road told me that his uncle's friend, uh, cousin sold their company for this price, right? So they make up this valuation metric and then they have that price anchor for X amount of years and they go to sell and they find out that maybe their business isn't worth that much or um, there was habits that they had in their business and their leadership that have now affected the value of the company or affected the efficiency of the company or how attached they are to the company so when they exit, they leave a giant hole. So oftentimes we find that in, in smaller to, um, you know, we'll say Main Street businesses are anywhere between $3 million in revenue to, you know, maybe 250000 in revenue. At that point, you, you tend to see the businesses that get stuck have the owner attached to everything. They have their identity in the business, they want to have all the ideas. They want to make sure that they have control over everything. And so they've been able to achieve success, but when they go to leave, there's a giant hole left. And so we like to have this conversation about having a team that is aligned with your purpose and they're expressing their own um, calling in your company so that when, so you're not the end all be all, right? Because then the business has less value. Yeah. And I think I, what the example you just gave there is a perfect example of the principle I was just articulating about longer range visions, setting context for goals. Right. So you have this event here in the middle where they're saying, I need to sell my business. That's the event. And you're saying, okay, in order to understand how that event needs to take place, we have to actually scale out longer and say, what's your life going to look like post transaction? Okay. That's going to tell us what kind of transaction this needs to be. And once we know what kind of transaction this needs to be, now we have some tactical things to do before we get there. Reorganize the business, hire these people, be able to make sure the business can run without you. And so these are some of the nearer term things we have to do in order to get to the sale so that the sale can get us where we want to go. And so that's that going longer range than you think you need to gives you the context to, to define. And notice how to define what retirement looks like for that business owner they're going to have to understand some things about their identity. 
right? And so that's what we were saying. Before we know where we're going, we have to know who we are. Right. Because you might ask them, what do you want retirement to look like? Well, I hadn't thought about that. I'm just a business owner. Well, no, you're, there is a you that will exist after your business has right. sold, right? So we need that information to decide what post-transaction looks like and that kind of thing. Exactly. No, I think that's so valuable. And that's why I thought it was so important we have this conversation because my hope is that someone will benefit. They'll be able to maybe make a change or be aware they need to start planning for these changes to come. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. I mean, we could talk about anything, but I feel like we, we, we covered a lot today. Is there any new projects you're working on you want to talk about? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what my business looks like going into the future. I've yeah. got a lot of opportunities that I'm tracing down. And so uh, I'm looking to work with a partner to build out some of this identity stuff that we do. So hopefully this fall I'll be run, we'll be running like a four-day accelerator for people to clarify identity and direction for themselves. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. What are some ways that people can find you and they can work with you? Yeah, they could find me on my website at claritynavigator.com. And then I'm just on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash claritynavigator. So, yep. Well, Jacob, thank you for coming on today. We're also going to link your contact information in the show notes in the description. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you for subscribing and liking. And please share this so other business owners can get this information. Also, we love to have your questions so we can do some questions and answers in the podcast. So if you have any questions, leave those in the comments. And then we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks. Amazing. I probably did that too fast. <laughs>